Would you turn in the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnals to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52, which is the concluding portion. That's page 896. 896. We're going to focus our attention here related to the Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed together. And we'll read just at this moment question 127. I'll read the question. We'll respond together with the answer. This is related to the sixth petition, that request of the Lord's Prayer. And it says, what does the sixth petition mean? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means. We are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. So far from our catechism, a faithful summary, uh, useful in teaching related to the pillars of the Christian faith uh, and uh, been a part of our discipleship uh, within the church as one of our uh, confessional standards. Now turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Numbers. At chapter 14, Numbers 14, beginning at verse 39. Numbers 14, beginning at verse 39. says there, when Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly and they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are, we will go up to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them, even to Hormah, so far from God's holy word. A dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been doing a simple walkthrough of the Lord's Prayer. And that's the concluding section of a larger series guided by the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, so we, we are coming to the very end, Lord's Day 52, 52 because it's meant to be preached in 52 weeks of the year. So basic teachings of the gospel. And we focused on at various points, uh, for instance, the Ten Commandments and uh, the, articles of, um, uh, the articles of the Apostles' Creed, explaining and opening up the pillars of the faith. And now the Lord's Prayer, 
uh, is one of those as we're coming to our conclusion, that sixth request, just as we said. And um, we, have this, we have this short and simple prayer that's full of spiritual power. It demands spiritual thinking from us, and it demands spiritual living from us. We can't say the Lord's Prayer credibly, pray it credibly, and then ignore how radical it is in the spiritual expression of our walk with God. So faithfully following this prayer, it truly speeds us on the pathway of cross-bearing dependence and a cross-bearing and faithful life. We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus taught us to humbly pray for God's strong deliverance from every kind of sin, from every kind of temptation, from every threat, because of our weakness in the face of our many enemies. And it's good for us to grapple with this, um, to grapple with our own weaknesses. This is not something that the catechism in summary is bashful about. And it's something that we see all across the scripture. Without God, we are weak. Without him, we are helpless. Without him, we are lost. Without him, we're dead. And this is what we have to acknowledge in humility. I am a sinner And it's not in this sort of likable underdog way, like we're really rooting for you. And, you know, if you just try hard, it'll be okay. Jesus taught, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So our Old Testament passage was coming out of a time where God's people learned about their sinful nature the hard way. You know, we're not, we're not just in our sin sort of the, the you know, cute and likable underdog who has some weaknesses, but maybe he'll pull through. There's something ugly going on in the book of Numbers that's exposed here in this passage. The people had provoked God to anger. It says in the previous verses, ten times, you know, you provoked me. You know, it's not like one strike you're out, two strikes you're out. You know, ten times God, you know, sort of laid out for them grievous sins of them against him. Uh, Ten times over, they despised his leadership, especially through Moses, and they quickly forgot his gracious care when they wanted something or when they were in trouble. And they're reprimanded by God in a way that caused them much grief. This was the point at which God said, you're going to wander for 40 years in the desert because of the hardness of your hearts, because of sort of the, you know, your stiff-necked, flint-foreheaded way of dealing with me. And they're very grieved by the message. So all of you, God says, this generation who saw my love, my power, my grace, my mercy towards you and despised it, you will perish in the wilderness and your children who you feared would die. In the, they will inherit the promised land. I'll take them into the promised land. And so this is where the 40 years of wandering were announced. And in this passage, a group of Israelites then presumptuously says, well, no, 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 we'll, we can fix it or we're going to go, we're going to go get what's ours. And they attack and try to capture the land of Canaan without God's help and against Moses' warning. In hard-headed foolishness, they went to battle without God's help, without uh, the presence of God as, as you know, uh, represented by the presence of the ark. Without Moses' leadership, the leader that God had appointed to shepherd them. And they got spanked. They got crushed in battle. You know, it's all the way to Horma. That doesn't mean a lot to us. But if you have like a study Bible and you look at the map, they didn't just lose. They got chased away, you know, sort of, uh, you know, to embarrassment. 
That's how bad it was. You know, all the way to Horma, it says. In other words, it was a total loss. It was a, a terrible defeat. Moses warned them they would not listen. And, you know, you think about the word presumption. You know, no one goes into hand-to-hand combat unless they think they're strong enough. You know, I'm going to make it. You know, no one, no one uh, goes into battle saying, I, I will surely fail. I will surely die. They think, oh, I'm going to win. I'm going to, get, I'm going to get what I came here to get and do what I came to do. They thought they were strong enough, even though they were warned, God is not going with you. It's, and this is not pleasing to him. They deluded themselves about where their help and their strength truly comes from. And presuming they could do it on their own, they went forward. Maybe they thought, you know, we're, we're too important to fail or we'll, we'll force God's hand or we're too holy to fail. We are God's people. And all of this while they disobeyed him in pride. Psalm 103 says it very simply. You know, the Lord, the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Very often we don't know it in our pride or very often we don't want to believe it that we are dust, but God knows what we are. Do we remember God's assessment of our own capability against temptation, against powerful enemies? Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. The prayer Jesus gave us should be a daily reminder. I need, I need God to act on my behalf. I will face temptation. I will face struggle. And I need God's strength And my own strength is not enough. Every day I need to ask him to help me. Every day I need need his power, his spirit, the endurance and the strength that comes from him. He has the might and the authority, the power. And every part of me needs it in my thinking, in all my speaking, in, in my soul, in my actions, everywhere. God does the leading and I do the following. He does the delivering when I'm in trouble. And this is the proper attitude for our prayers. This is the proper footing for our lives. And everything else is presumption. Everything else is proud. You know, are there, are there large areas of our lives, of our work, of our family life, of the responsibilities that are on me, you know, of my witness to others. Are there, are there large needs that I have or small? Uh, is there, are there things going on in my family, in the church, anywhere? And I have offered little prayer on them, no prayer on them. You know, prayer is conspicuously absent well, this is this, you know, sort of shows the temperature, it shows the dial uh, on how we understand the strength of God and his presence with us. We're taught to pray about everything and to seek out God's leadership and to seek out God's strength and to seek out God's blessings. And very often it's embarrassing to realize how little we have prayed over things that we have such concern about or how little we have prayed about things that make up a big part of our life. How how little we have asked God for his help and for his strength as we go ahead with the plans of our lives. And this is a sure way to provoke God's anger. It's presumption. It's a sure way. 
It's a sure way to end up entangled in our sins. It's, you know, like, how did, I, how did I get, like, twisted in my life? And very often the diagnosis is there was such a lack of prayer. There was such a lack of fellowship with God and seeking God's face in these different parts of my life. It's the sure way to become sort of a lost sheep, a wandering sheep. That is, how did I get out on a limb? How did I get stuck, you know, um, you can look up videos of hilarious ways that sheep get stuck. And think about what, what that is like for us when, when we fail to pray. And in that way, we do not coordinate and we do not submit the plans and the purposes of our lives to God. And so we, we find ourselves exposed. You know, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. This is... This is that, you know, where that famous words uh, come from. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're a busy bunch of people and we take on a lot. We have a lot of projects to do and things that, you know, our lives are so busy with good things. And we're so tired that we often say, well, that's the I'm so busy. I can't pray. I'm so busy. I forgot to pray. My life is so full. I don't pray. And we say, that's the reason I can't pray, the reason I can't worship, the reason I can't serve, the reason I don't meditate on spiritual things. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a problem for us? Could it be that we haven't taken this prayer, short as it is, all that seriously? You know, very, very few requests to make. And one of them is that God leads us not into temptation and delivers us from evil. And... Our lives are at such a furious pace that we're, we're not praying about his strength. and We're not praying for his wisdom. And it is entangling us and it is putting us down pathways that that end up as dead ends or worse, you know, harmful. And it ca- they cause us by our own direction and without prayer and without the wisdom and maturity uh, that comes from it. Uh, They land us in situations where we're more disconnected and spiritually weakened than we were before. More estranged from God and from his people and from the church and caught up in worldly pursuits. And what have we gained, right, by by saying, I'm going to direct my life in the way that I want to go. And I'm going to fill my life with what I want to fill it with. But we we have failed in prayer to submit all of these things to the Lord. To honor Jesus, we have to learn to pray in proportion, you know, to the to the busyness, to the activity of our lives. And we know that that a, a person can gain the whole world but forfeit their soul. And in that way, we should pray to God that he would lead us towards modesty and sobriety, towards contentment and satisfaction with his gifts, with his provisions, with the doors that he opens. And bar the way to temptation. We acknowledge that there are sort of two kinds of temptation. The Bible has a way of describing uh, the will of God that allows us to suffer. uh, And he tests us and he tries us. But the Apostle Peter says it's like gold. You know, we're being refined by way of trials. We're being refined as we face troubles, tribulations, temptations in this world. The Bible has a way of describing this as, as 
through God's wisdom, uh, resulting in our good. And the Bible also describes how our enemies, like the devil, tries to bring us down to destruction. You know, that his strategies and his lies and deceptions, that these are for our harm, but God is our protector. And I believe this prayer really addresses both. It, it leaves the door open to address both. You know, as a father, go gently with us. We are, you know, we are weak. Our understanding is small. Lead us not into temptation and not more than we can bear. And God, please shield us and protect us from the evil one and from every, every attack. You know, our, our enemy, right, we, we have a, a succinct description of our enemies, the devil, the world, our own flesh. These are our sworn enemies. Well, the world has long downplayed the devil's power. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as the devil. And Christians have wandered into great temptation uh, in the style and the wording of 1 Peter 5. We don't, we don't see the devil as a threat and we don't see him as a roaring lion seeking prey to devour. And we're ready to wander out further than we ought to wander without prayer, without consideration of the danger. No particular urgency in the warnings, right, of our shepherds, the way we see here in Numbers 14. That's not going to happen to me, right? And it's not a snare for me, and I'm strong enough to handle it. And we get close to the world, and we get close uh, you know, to those things that can do us great harm. And in that way, we're, we wander further from his table. We wander further from worship. We turn down the volume and the urgency of practicing our faith and keeping to uh, steady pathways and humble pathways. And, you know, so we're, we're the sheep that don't need a fold we don't need shepherds or, you know, to tell us, you know, I don't need anyone to tell me anything, whether it's my parents or my teachers or pastors or elders or anyone else. And suddenly we're easy prey for the adversary, our sworn enemy, the devil. Christians have similarly decided to make a peace treaty with the world, right? Unlike, uh, unlike the threat of the devil, whom we can't see so easily, we see the world around us. And we live in it, but we've decided that that's no threat to me either. No respect for Jesus' appraisal of our strengths. And so we believe we can handle it, right? It's always I can handle it. I can flood myself with the things of this world. And it won't affect me, right? Think about 1 Corinthians 6. It says, flee sexual immorality. You know, just run away. Get, get away from it. Flee sexual immorality. No, we can handle it. We think we can handle it. Yes, it's dangerous, but, you know, but we can handle it. And so we have uh, all around us, you know, sexualized everything, hypersexuality. And we pray, ostensibly we pray, lead me not into temptation. But we steer into uh, deadly sins. We steer into uh, the perversity of over-sexualized entertainment and of, you know, perversity in our speech, perverse jokes and, you know, pornography won't it won't skew my mind, even though it skews the minds of those that use it. Lord, don't lead me into temptation, you know, but I can flirt with the world and I can I can have relationships inside 
and outside the church. Uh, We have quite actually walked into temptation willfully, to use the language of Numbers 14, presumptuously, proudly, not seeing the danger, not wanting to see the danger. And, uh, you know, we're, we're approving of or we're afraid, we're afraid to disapprove of homosexuality and all of the, uh, you know, all of the bending and twisting of sexuality uh, because of the, you know, the political battles all around us. Uh, and, you know, so, so the best we can say about sexual immorality is, well, I, I don't prefer it, but, you know, it's fine. Whatever you do, just do whatever you want. And, and, and we're, we're overwhelmed by sexual sin in this culture. Praying this prayer, it demands that we reset our thinking, that we, that we dial in our lives, the use of our bodies, our eyes, our minds, uh, in a way that, that averts our direction from obvious temptation and that averts our attention from the hypersexuality of our culture. And that we not try to justify ourselves in it. You know, we, we want to we compromise with the world that, you know, is low pressure, right? So we want modesty, not, not calibrated by the law of God and the purity of Christ and his spirit. We want modesty that's, well, I do better than the world that has no modesty and therefore I'm modest. Not really a proper standard. You know, I'm sexually pure, because our culture is 10 billion, you know, sort of points on the dial further than me, and therefore that means purity. It doesn't. We're talking about uh, honesty in facing temptation. Lead me not into temptation. And then steering into temptation at all is not acceptable. I need, I need Jesus and his purity. I need Jesus and, you know, his spirit to be the true guiding, leading force in my life. More than people to like me, my friends to think I'm something. More than self-gratification. More than to be normal or just to, to not get battered because of the supercharged, you know, political feelings on the matter. The world is not going to help us learn purity. The world is not going to help us learn righteousness. The world is going to push uh, and test that uh, devotion. The world will not assist us to be readily more like Jesus. and will not be understanding or affirmative of those who are committed to fleeing temptation. Resisting temptation and fleeing temptation. That's, that, that brings mockery from those around us. It brings hatred from those around us. Those are, this is a tough thing. But it's important uh, when we realize that for Jesus' sake, you know, I have to turn around. For Jesus' sake, I have to shut off, you know, whatever entertainment. For Jesus' sake, I have to turn, you know, uh, to different conversation. For Jesus' sake, I maybe have to cut off habits and friendships. For Jesus' sake, there's a lot of change that's necessary in my life. I have to, for his sake, become less in the eyes of people around me. I have to be the one that can't say yes to everything the way that others can. 
in, uh, in idolatry. I have to be the one that, that won't bow down to what's popular and what's accepted in our culture. These are important moments. Either the shame uh, that comes will make us more like Jesus who was shamed and hated and crucified or the witness that comes out of those moments will be the uh, clear picture of willing obedience that the world has ever seen. Maybe some people in our lives have ever seen out of us or out of anyone because they don't know the truth about Jesus. And we have such opportunity in the midst of a dark world for people to be baffled by the light of the gospel. You know, really, you, you would follow Jesus, right, over money? I don't even know what to say. I don't even know. I've never seen anything like it. You would follow Jesus over sex, over sex and over pleasure and over you know, what you want? You would take Jesus over power and influence. Jesus is more precious to you than your freedom. Jesus, more precious to you than your life. And Christians are, are living that witness. Even now, this is the bloodiest century for Christians ever. Many following Jesus at the cost of their life, at the cost of their property, at the cost of everything. We have to be honest not only about the devil and about the world as sworn enemies, but also about our own sinful flesh as an enemy. And that's something that is difficult for us also. We crave, we want, we desire, we covet, we hate. We're tempted to go back to all of our old ways. It's a constant temptation. Our flesh wants, our flesh craves, and the pressure is very heavy on us. And our culture teaches that we need to, you know, follow our dreams, follow our hearts. Basically, any desire that you have must be good. You know, any, any follow, follow your desires is the basic teaching of this culture. Natural expression of whatever you feel. You know, that's what's important. That's what's desirable. You know, and, and, and you know, some of the absurd expressions of this. Uh, you know, are they're pushing to the furthest degree to the point where it's it's, uh, you know, off the scales. You, know, you feel like you're a different gender. You are really is that I, fe- I feel it. And so it is that doesn't happen with my bank account and it doesn't happen with any other regular. You know, I feel like my garden is perfect and thriving. The weeds are just going to wither because I feel that way. This is not reality. We know it. Anyone who's being honest knows it. But this is what the culture is pushing, right? Whatever you feel, that's what's most important. Who cares if it's reality? But we have, we have, to, we have to be uh, in tune with what God's word has said and understand the reality of it. That our flesh, as an enemy of the gospel, our, our sinful flesh, as an enemy of the truth and an enemy of the reality of Christ and his sacrifice, that it... it it's always pushing us towards worldliness. It is a sworn enemy. And so we can't trust even ourselves, even with our own selves. We have to be careful, say no to evil thoughts and to wicked words, contentious and divisive attitudes, and recognize these as, an, as another form of sinful attack. My sinful pride is, 
is deadly. My sinful pride is presumptuous. My sinful pride is contradictory to the spirit that God has given. And I have to check twice and check again if I'm walking myself into a disaster. Because that's how my pride would steer my life. If I let it. And if I'm not attuned to the word of God and meditating on him. And daily praying for strength in my spirit, in my, uh, you know, in my heart from God to fight against sin and temptation. But we don't want to declare war against our stomachs. We don't want to declare war against our cravings, against our sexuality, against our laziness or our indifference. We don't want to count ourselves as the enemy. You know, then we would have to fight a war instead of downplay the spiritual conflict. And we're sick of conflict and tired of conflict and worn out from conflict. And, you know, this is often true of us, that we're prepared for outside attack. You know, if, if someone shames me for the gospel, I'm ready for that. And if, you know, and I realize maybe the devil is against me, the world is against me, but I'm, I'm not prepared maybe the way that I should be with maturity to fight against my own cravings, my own self. And here we need God's spirit to help us be honest that we often create our own problems, that when there's no outside threat or attack, we make our own and do according to our sinful will and plunge into cravings and temptations because we're prone to idolatry, to make ourselves number one. And God's second and other people, a distant, distant, distant third. We're ready to do this. And so because we're prone to selfish idolatry, you know, God has addressed this with us. Give us daily strength. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil in every form, including including that which is sort of hardwired into my flesh. And this is what the battle looks like. And the enemy is all too familiar. In fact, I saw him in the mirror this morning and he needs to shave. And he's slightly overweight. Titus 3 summed up things rather well. We read it earlier. Our Savior appeared. He saved us according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the spirit. God has provided rescue in Jesus Christ. He saved us. And he knew what we were and he knew what kind of what kind of sins and struggles we were facing. And he knows it when we pray and he's teaching us how to recognize and understand what, you know, what it is to follow Jesus and what it is to put our sins away, even put them to death. God has provided rescue and a radical new life, a new self. And this is a beautiful work. Now we're created for fruitfulness in the spirit, leadership uh, through the power of his spirit into uh, the ways of Jesus. What Isaiah prophesied is coming true through Christ. He prophesied in chapter 35, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. This is the time. Because Jesus came proclaiming renewal, recovery of sight for the blind and strength for those who were drooping and recovery of our freedom for righteousness. 
And now in Jesus, the imagery of the apostles, right, all the preaching of him, it focuses on uh, you know, these very encouraging pictures. He's building a temple out of us. He is, he is equipping us for battle where we were, we were naked and exposed and you know, we're armed and armored through Jesus. He has won the victory even over death and broken the jaws of death itself and twisted open the bars to death's, you know, death's door. We have all of these blessings from God in front of us. And now we have that message in Philippians 4. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we understand what that's going to look like in our lives. I can suffer without bitterness because even my sufferings, God will turn to my profit. I can abound. I can prosper without becoming conceited because I know where all the blessings of my life have come from. I know what it is to walk in the faith and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, suffering uh, and, and receiving shame, but giving back love and forgiveness in his name, being wronged and not doing harm in return. God has given this strong spirit, the spirit of Christ to his people to resist temptation, even to rebuke the devil and our enemies. Believers are finding this strength in him. So that God is proving that leadership is real and day by day is showing it. He is willing to lead us in the way everlasting, to cut off temptation, to cut off evil in our lives. And he's assured us of final victory. Let's devote ourselves to this prayer and the leadership of God and submission to the pathway and the will that has been laid out for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer that these things, which are the theme of the Christian life, we would adopt down to the smallest uh, details, that wherever there is sin and temptation in our lives, Lord, that you would be there to help us and to turn us away from those things that are so appealing to our flesh, but lead ultimately to harm and destruction. Those things that were once uh, for us such a a great entertainment, those things that for us were so fulfilling, those things that for us uh, were so desirable. Lord, we pray that you would turn our hearts no longer to the things of this world, but rather that we would find our treasure and our joy in you and see uh, the things of this world for what they are, passing away, perishing, falling apart rusting and moth-eaten, losing their value. But we find, Lord, that our treasure in heaven is secure. So hear our prayer, we pray. Lead us towards your kingdom, seeking your kingdom first, knowing that everything else will follow, and away from temptation and away from sin. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing number two.